I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to the Talking OTC Commodities podcast series. Brought to you by the Global Commodities Team at EEX Group. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of Talking OTC Commodities, brought to you by EEX Group. Following EEX's successful launch into the Japanese power derivatives market last month, we're going to discuss Japan uh, power further. And in particular, we're going to examine the potential of Japanese power derivatives as a tradable commodity. I'm very happy to be joined by a fantastic bunch of key players from the Japan power market today. And rather than me make the introductions as normal, I thought we'd mix it up a bit and today open the floor to let them introduce themselves and also explain how they became involved in Japanese power. So Julie, over to you. Hi, thanks, Michael. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Arnold, and I'm currently working as an independent consultant on energy markets around the world. Prior to the past 18 months, I was working at RWE Trading for 17 years on various commodity trading desks. And the most recent one, I spent four years working in Singapore, heading up the Asia-Pacific power trading desk. So trading Australian power, New Zealand, Singapore, and I did a lot of work on looking at Japanese power. So initially when I went out to Singapore, RWE was only trading Australian power. And I was looking around the region to see what other markets we could enter into to to build up the trading desk to grow into the Asian region and quickly spotted that Japan looked like a fantastic opportunity. So I spent a lot of time trying to get us involved and trying to help that market get going. So that's where my interest came from. James. Hi, morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm James Whistler. I'm uh, head of energy derivatives for Simpson Spence Young. Um, and I sort of came at it from not a dissimilar background from Julie. Um, originally a trader, um, but then uh, been a broker. There has been a broker for about last, oh, uh, eight, ten years. Um, and... Um, the most most of the time spent in Australia and New Zealand, um, and that's obviously relevant to what we're talking about because the the market designs that um, we see we're seeing come out, um, you know, Australia and New Zealand have gone through that in in, the, in um, not too distant past. Uh, so it's been really interesting seeing those markets develop. Um, and uh, I came to Singapore about a year and a half ago to set up. Uh, uh, the business and uh, really the focus was LNG, uh, which it still remains for us. But uh, the the markets are so intertwined now that it's hard to hard to get past the power markets as well. And certainly Japan fits right into that. So we're very excited about that. And uh, Erland. Yeah, hi. Uh, hi, Michael. Uh, my name is Erland Engelstad. Uh, normally, I work in for EEX in the Seaborne markets. 
So I cover the global commodity segment out of Singapore, uh, which I've been done in, in other companies as well for the last uh, 15 years or so. Uh, and I had the the enormous privilege of being the kind of the first EXer on the ground in Japan, as you said, on a permanent, you know, on a semi-permanent basis uh, last year, and and spent a lot of time on, on trying to build a community of prospects, clients, and and that kind of our assumptions about how this market is going to look, and hosts, uh, you know, probably hundreds of meetings and hedging workshops and these types of things to to anyone willing to to listen to us, and that's. Obviously, with a very distinct Norwegian accent and absolutely no discernible Japanese skills whatsoever. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, last but not least, Stefan. Yeah, hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. My name is Stefan Riediger. I'm director for Power Derivatives at EX. And I had a pleasure and the privilege um, to lead the project um, that we brought to life uh, on the 18th of May uh, to introduce Japan Power at EX. And uh, it has been a fantastic journey for almost two years. And before that, before that project that we will uh, discuss later on in that, in, that, in that podcast, I mean, I'm with EX since 2010, and I had the pleasure to, to see the EX growing from two power derivatives markets in 2010 to 20 power derivatives markets in 2020 and adding Japan Power being the 21st to the platform. So I think with that experience and with that client network um, that we built in the past, um, I think there's a lot that we can bring to the market in order to make it also liquid and highly attractive um, for Japan Power and uh, globally traded product, as you said in the beginning. So with the introductions made, um, let's dive in. Julie, I'm going to come to you first. As you said in your introduction, you've been a real champion of Japan Power for more than five years now. What was the initial attraction? I suppose the initial attraction was the, the sheer size of the Japanese power market. I mean, in terms of demand, it's bigger than the UK and German markets combined. The other interesting factor was uh, the Japanese government have always been very keen on fuel diversity. So there's LNG imports, there's coal imports, there's oil imports, they've got nuclear power, and increasingly they've got renewable power. So it's a, a very fuel diverse market, which means it feeds very well into the global energy jigsaw, really. You can't ignore Japan because it's such a big consumer of all of these, all of these fuels. And the third one, I'd say, was probably the weather diversity. So living in Singapore at the time and looking at the Singapore market, the weather's pretty much the same every day. It's pretty much the same temperature, uh, a bit of cloud, a bit of sun and a bit of rain. Whereas in Japan, you've obviously got the ski regions, you've got extreme cold winters, you've got extreme hot summers. And that makes all your analysis much more interesting to have that diversity of weather. So that was the initial attraction. I mean, and when you when you started talking about it to, to people, what was their reaction? The typical reaction you get from, if you're talking about to international traders, so talking yeah. to the European power traders about entering a market, the first thing most people would say is, oh, yeah, that sounds very interesting. I'll wait till it gets liquid and then I'll have a look at it. That's, that, that is the just most common reaction from everybody. What do you think is the potential for this market? Um, well, I think that, like I said before, it's very connected to the world through the fuels. 
And as we saw in the European markets, when the European power markets started trading back in the 90s, it was really the power market is your first step in creating spark spreads and dark spreads. So the advent of power trading in Europe really had a knock-on impact into the gas market. So I started trading power in the UK in the late 90s. And at the time, MVP was more liquid than power, but it had... I think it had kind of a ceiling on its liquidity. Once the power market started and people started trading power and the power traders then started also looking at gas and looking at the fuels and looking at spark spreads, it really added a lot of liquidity into the gas market. So you can't separate the different energy commodities from each other. They're all interlinked. And then the coal market got more and more liquid in the mid 2000s. And then you have the whole energy complex and we had the, the carbon market interacting with that as well. And then since then, it's just become much more global with the advent of LNG, then bringing another factor into it to join the world, make the world more connected. James, I want to bring you in here. I mean, I know that um, SSY are relatively new to power. Um, and I know that, you know, when you set up the desk in in, uh, in Singapore, it was predominantly for LNG. But obviously, you know, we know that the, 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 uh, the, the markets are interconnected. I mean, what do you think about the potential of Japan? Is that one of the things that really attracted you guys? Oh, absolutely. I think the, uh, I mean, the, the potential of Japan is undeniable. You've got, uh, you know, over a thousand terawatt hour market um, to put that into context. I, I think Julie might correct me here, but it's the largest single market in the world if it um, connects. Mm. And um, so when you put that into context, I mean, you look at the various other markets like level Europe or PJM or whatever it might be, these are huge markets traded globally. Um, so in terms of potential, Japan's right up there. Uh, it's also got all the moving parts that we like to see in power markets, like, you know, locational risk, as Julie mentioned, there's the, the weather factor in there makes it very a lot more interesting. Um, so you have all the various, uh, you know, macroeconomic risks sitting in that market. But you've also got the, uh, the, um, the global stuff linking into that. Um, you know, obviously being currently the world's largest LNG buyer still, um, you know, that is hugely influential on both markets. So when you talk about spark spreads, I fully expect that the spark spread market to develop against something like a JKM or something A and other that helps um, the Japanese utilities hedge their, hedge their um, profit margins, but also helps the world go into that market and trade. Um, you've also seen markets very close or relatively close like for example Australia that are showing the same similar similar trends now as well you know if you look at the Australian power market it's becoming more and more correlated to for example JKM um, there's no reason why that wouldn't start betting into things as well and playing sort of like a, a comparative comparative role with, uh, with the Japanese market um, and actually from an SSY perspective what really attracted us was the fact that when you look at these markets and you look at the energy market as a whole, most of our clients are what I would describe now as global energy traders. They're not, they're not utilities, uh, domestic utilities. They're not, um, you know, trying to expand out of their region. These guys have offices around the world. They are, uh, they are there to trade markets that they can find liquidity and risk. And I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that Julie was talking about, you know, the reason why she came to Singapore is look at the Aussie markets and, and what else they could trade because that's exactly what we're seeing as well um, from quite a few people. And I think 
you know, a few key players have really set that model up, but a lot of lot of people out of Europe are looking to follow that, and the US, I might add, as well. Yeah, James, I'd absolutely agree with that. I'd echo that. I saw five years ago when I moved to, to Singapore and started trading Australian power, the Australians weren't really looking at all at anything outside Australia. And from that point five years ago, as they had started to export a lot more LNG, bit by bit, the Australian power market got correlated to JKM. And that really took a lot of people in, in Australia by surprise. And it goes far as saying a lot of people in Australia lost money because they weren't initially looking at those connections. And I think that's a really good example that if you ignore the global world outside of your own market, you can really get caught out. And there's one final thing as well that we haven't mentioned Actually, it's a friendly jurisdiction legally for Western companies to enter the Japanese market. You may look at China and say, well, there could be a power market in China. You'd probably be a bit more cautious going into China legally, whereas Japanese law is, they tell me, very similar to German law. So we feel much more comfortable as Western countries to, to enter into that risk with our risk appetite. Thanks for that, guys. That's really interesting. I mean, Erlen, from, from the EEX perspective, I mean, you've been one of the the key drivers of this project um, and you know, lived in uh, Tokyo uh, for six months. I'd be really interested to get your take on this. You know, what, what did you learn out there and, and how do you see it unfolding? Yeah, Michael, I, I think that, you know, being part of, of starting a market from, from very close to scratch is, is really rewarding in its own right. You know, it, it, I think it taught EEX to be able to articulate our value proposition a lot better because we're starting from a very very low starting point in a way. Uh, and we needed to really understand what we are, were doing to be able to articulate that for um, or translate it into the Japanese market. And I think what we what we aim to do was to strike a really good balance. And this echoes what, what, what James and Julie uh, just talked about as well, which is to strike this balance between local, uh, you know, idiosyncrasies and, and ways of de- doing business and the global market, because obviously our ultimate goal for this, this launch was to link the two and to provide liquidity from outside of Japan and, and, and bridge that liquidity gap in, in a way. Okay. So I, th- I think we're all in agreement that the potential of this market is huge, but, you know, it's still in its infancy, you know, and, and as all, as in all markets, it's going to take time to develop. Stefan, be really interested to see your take on this now. You know, as we know, it's going to take time to develop these markets. What do you think the industry um, and the market need to do in order to promote further development? Yeah, I mean, Michael, that's a good question and um, something that um, is discussed broadly among particularly international clients that are just looking into engaging and trading with um, Japanese power. Yeah? And what I hear from a lot of market participants is that they, well, basically are concerned or sometimes even complain about a lack of transparency in the, in the, in the market fundamentals. Yeah? I mean, if you look at the physical market, yeah, the physical market, as Julie said before, I mean, it's, it's massively large. Yeah? It's larger than um, UK and German power combined. And since 2016, the uh, volumes traded in the spot market um, at JEPX, the Japan Power Spot Exchange, have increased quite significantly. And looking at that today, if you look at it from a um, daily average traded volumes in the day ahead spot auction at JEPX, 
it's larger than the volumes traded in German power at EPEC spot. Yeah, so we are talking about a very widely uh, traded spot market. Yeah, that just lacks the transparency um, and English-speaking publication. To be honest, yeah. So there is, at least to my knowledge, there is no um, no public information in. English about market fundamentals. So what's plant generation, what's actual generation, what's maintenance, what's outages at the moment, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we have a very strong spot market, a lack of fundamental data. And if we compare that to what we know from the European markets, for example, I mean, look at uh, what we have here at EX, which is a transparency platform. Yeah. So um, that is widely used in the industry. If we look at um, reporting schemes, um, just to name Remit here, yeah, all that is something that is just in its infancies and it's discussed on a political level in Japan. It's um, widely demanded in the international client sphere. It's just something that is not there and needs to be developed. Okay. Um, James, would, would you agree with what Stefan's saying? Uh, yes, entirely. I think one of the, the great benefits of the Japanese market, and the fact that it's happening now, um, is that is the benefit that we can learn from all these other markets that we know what makes them tick. Um, I think from our perspective, the, the main challenge, uh, really for us, it's making sure that the building blocks are there in terms of making sure that everyone has the data they need. Um, the, the access to data, uh, does probably need improving, I think, uh, but I understand that things are underway to help that out. And I think it's just a, the natural progression of a largely local market now becoming more of a globalized market. Um, so that's something that we expect to happen relatively quickly and, and that shouldn't be too difficult. Um, the other side of it is education. And, you know, uh, as brokers, you know, we invest in markets the same way as, as traders do. You know, we put time and effort into understanding the markets. Um, so that we can help them along and it doesn't have to be a liquid market for us to, to before we're willing to jump up uh, to um, put our toe in. So I think from that perspective, you know, we're trying to do our bit there in terms of educating and trying to get people across the data that we have and the information we have on a daily basis. Um, but as this market develops and grows, that'll be much more easy. I mean, I think that's one of the things that keeps on coming up again and again is is education, right? And uh, Erlen, maybe we could we could get your take on this. I mean, I know that you were heavily involved in a in a rollout of seminars and and webinars and whatever. How how do you see that uh, the the role of education in this market? No, as I, I as I said to you earlier, you know the the. We, we needed to kind of articulate what we're doing in this market, but I, I think we, we very early on found um, that we had to clarify, you know, the role of an exchange, uh, number one, and also explain the kind of the merits of, of clearing as a system. So we had to introduce concepts that weren't necessarily uh, um, commonly known in the, in the power trading market. I think, uh, you know, there are certain parts of the Japanese uh, a market that are not used to the types of payment systems um, or the types of accounting uh, methods that are typically utilized in European markets. So I, I think we had to just try to fine-tune, bring in other stakeholders and, and get people on board with, with, with our message but kind of tuned into the, uh, the reality on the ground in Japan. Okay, so, you know, we've got 
uh, transparency. We've got, you know, the the education process. Julie, I mean, what do you think? How do you think, um, what's the solution here? What do you think the industry can do to, to further develop and promote this market? I think you do need to split it into two. So like you talked about the, the, the thing about the education in Japan, um, there's not been a power market in Japan until recently. So there isn't a skill set that's naturally there. So the people that are coming into the market obviously need to learn. Um, and that is, that has been happening. That's been happening for a few years now. And as more and more people come into the market and like yourselves coming into the market, they are learning really quickly. And I don't think we need to make too much of a big thing of that, to be honest. There's some really smart people there and they're learning super quickly. They've got, they can look at the rest of the world. If you go back to when we were deregulating over here, there wasn't other European markets to look at to say, oh, look how they did it then. And if you think back sort of 20, 22 years ago, there wasn't data. When we started in German power and UK power, there wasn't that transparency. There wasn't the fundamental data. And this is why I get, I actually get a bit annoyed with people hearing these excuses all the time. We're not going to join because there's no data. Well, we did it before. When we went back and when we started, no one had any data. And it took 22 years for the European markets to get to this stage. I think the Japanese market will get there a lot quicker than that because they, they're smart. We've got the internet now, which we didn't really have much information on the internet when we started. And they've got all the other markets to cherry pick the best bits from. I think companies are naive for not getting involved. They may say, oh, let's wait for liquidity and then we'll join. If you do that, then you're going to get the people that do join will have the knowledge and the people that haven't joined at the beginning haven't got the expertise and the, and the, the behind when they do join. I think there are issues within Japan that need addressing. The government are making progress. The JPX has come on a long way since it got more liquid a few years ago. And that's because they've introduced gross bidding. And there's been a few initiatives that have made the generators put more volume through JPX and that's that's fantastic now. But there's still some transparency issues there. But the more international companies that come and get involved bringing the same message, then that will help the market develop much quicker. So the solution is for more people to get involved and help the process. Do you think, a, you know, a, a, a formal body or a, a, a formal industry working group would be a good thing. I do, yeah, because there's not in within Japan. There's probably quite limited discussions going on between companies. The markets that we're used to, everybody knows each other now. It's all quite joined up. In Japan, everyone's sitting in those separate separate companies, and potentially there's not as much overlap as there should be. So something like the effect committee i think would be very good the difficulty with getting something like that happen is no one seems to want to take the lead in japan so i'm not sure how that started up in germany when it first was initiated who was it which company it was or which companies it was that got that going but i think that would be really helpful to get discussion points out in the open and get some initiatives on the go to see what they could improve and Stefan, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously, you know, on a on a more, not on an industry level, but on a local level, on the EEX level, we have our own, we established our own Japan working group. You know, how have you found that, you know, um, in terms of being able to 
gauge opinion and uh, and and glean information. How how has that worked out for you? Yeah, there was, and uh, I mean, to be honest, in the, in the, in the very beginning when we started that, uh, we were quite skeptical if we would get the results that we hoped for because, I mean, um, as Judy said, I mean, in Japan, people sit in their different companies and there is um, little, very little company across company or industry wide forums. Yeah. So we started that in order to engage with clients and try to build consensus about what the EX should bring to the market. And to be very honest, uh, we've been very, very happy and we've been very privileged to work with that working group. So um, it's fair to say it's the top 10 or top 15 companies within Japan locally um, and we've taken some terms left and right over the past 18 months in product design and service design and so on and so forth because we've had very active discussion very open feedbacks and uh, we had sessions in Tokyo um, that could have been easily ended up in three or four hours of active discussions and we had to cut it short um, um, because there was very active engagement. So we are glad, and I think that also mirrors what Judy said. I think there is demand, actually, for such an industry-wide forum. And maybe the solution could be that connecting these group that we have already established in Japan locally and the international players that are active in EFAT organization, for example, or FIA, and have kind of a joint, well, Japan Power Committee or whatsoever. So I think also the EX can take a leading role here. James, Ireland, would you agree? Uh, I would completely. Um, and actually, we've got a very good working example of something in New Zealand that we did called the NG Trader Forum. Um, you know, um, uh, quite quite a few years ago now, it feels like yesterday, you know, we started the gas market up in New Zealand and they've got the futures market going. Um, and you end up with this whole new group of people in an industry that call themselves energy traders now and there, you know, and there's this new thing. So I think giving them uh, the ability to network as well and get around and, and, and hear what they have to say in terms of their input is hugely important um, and not necessarily that difficult to do. Um, the other thing I would add is that I, something that, that I think people do tend to uh, overestimate a little bit with the Japanese market is uh, that the local utilities aren't keen. Um, you know, my experience to date is that they're very interested, very engaged. Um, some of the most engaged uh, parties we have in terms of wanting to find out what the market's doing, they want to get involved. Um, so I think that's something that it's worth getting out there as well. But I think that has definitely changed. You know, I had my first conversation about Japan Power in 2002. Um, and back then, you know, I mean, you know, the big problem was that the utilities just absolutely said no. Um, so, and that's been the problem to date. But I don't think that's true at all today. I think they're very prepared, and I think they're very, uh, very supportable. Erlen, would you echo that? I know that you had a lot of dealings with the utilities out in Tokyo when you were there. Yeah. No, I think I, I think it goes to to a larger point, right? Where we. You know, there are a lot of stakeholders. They're largely segregated as well. They're not just not communicating with each other a lot of times, but they are also 
the different stakeholders are not necessarily connected. I think what EEX is doing in this regard, like we have the plumbing, so we connect people, right? That's that's our role as an exchange. And and I think the, the plumbing is there. It's, you know, we're going to add more pipes as we can get along. And, you know, the, the idea of building and taking an active role in building some sort of community or industry forum in a formal or informal way, I think it is incredibly valuable. And I think we should, uh, we should take that very seriously. Excellent. Okay. And they're very interested over there in about looking at what their comp- competitors are doing. So I think that's the same everywhere, but more so in Japan, really. they Nobody wants to make the first move, but they're keeping their eye on their competitors. And when they're brought together through these meetings, the meetings that you've been having and various other industry-wide meetings, they're finding out, oh, the competition are, are involved in this. We need to do something. And that's like a – it's a – it's gathering momentum as that continues. I think I would agree with, with all of you. And maybe we'll bring Stefan in here. I mean, in terms of engagement, when we have done events, you know, in Tokyo, we've had a massive turnout rate, right, Stefan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> just uh, just from my personal point of view here, yeah. So when we started that late 2018, yeah, and we thought about let's test the waters how the demand also among the international clients is for Japan Power, yeah. We set up an initial um, uh, event in Tokyo, which was I think end of February, early March 2019, yeah. And we've been we've been overly surprised to be honest that more than 100 people from all over the world yeah, um, showed up i mean julie you traveled all the way from london over there, yeah. to, <laughs> over there to tokyo yeah so um it was like uh, sometimes meeting old friends yeah so a lot of mm-hmm. people also from europe who have um, um headed uh, trading departments here in europe um are now active uh, in the japan power business yeah uh, setting up teams there yeah and also looking at um, our latest event just before Corona hit us, yeah, um, which was end of January 2020. I mean, we had more than 200 people there in Tokyo, yeah. So that shows um, the interest in the market, um, both domestically and internationally. So I guess to to sum up where we are so far, you know, the potential is huge. We all agree that. Um, we we also see that there are there are some uh, key points that that need to evolve um, in order to really grow this market, i.e. the transparency and and also the, the continued education, but also um, and this idea of of having you know just discussing and getting more and more people discussing in in some sort of committee. Um, I want to ask this question to, to all of you to, to see what you think. You know, we know this, we, we've entered this market, EEX has entered this market only last month. I mean, when we're recording this now, it's two and a half weeks since, since we launched. Um, but we know that markets take time to develop. You know, in every market that, that we have entered in those power markets that Stefan mentioned, the, the, the past 20, um, they, they've always taken time to develop. Julie, how long do you think it's going to take before we see good liquidity and a fully functioning Japanese power derivatives market? Yeah, that's a difficult one because people have been asking me that for five years and I (laughs) thought it would have been more liquid by now already. Um, You can't answer that question. It, it It could be within the next year, but who knows? James, do you want to take a punt? 
Well, I'm with Judy on this one. <laughs> but uh, what I would say is that as we speak, obviously the world's going through some sort of slightly uh, problematic times, obviously with COVID and things like that. So uh, I, I think it, it, that's been, you know, I think that puts everything slightly on the back foot in terms of projects and things like that for everyone. So I think that's a natural lag. But, you know, uh, once we get past that, whenever that might be, um, I think I don't think it'll take too long. I think, you know, the, the participation we're seeing, the effort we're seeing from people now uh, in terms of getting their ducks in a row, um, there, there are enough people doing that to give me confidence that we should see a, the fine liquidity, but a re relatively liquid market within six to 12 months. Uh, let's call it six months. Okay. Ireland, Stefan, what do you think? So... Uh, I, I think, you know, it's the old kind of cliche that liquidity breeds liquidity, right? So I, I think we're, th there's going to be a pivot point at some point. Uh, I think all markets tend to, to when, when they kind of, you know, when, the, when they um, hit that pivot point, you will have some sort of exponential growth. So I think we, you know, it's hard to say when that's, that point will be. I think I agree with James that Corona and kind of some of those uncertainties uh, play a part in it, but uh, you know, hopefully within a year or so, we'll we'll have a robust market and and we'll see you know robust increases year on year in the years ahead as well. Can I just add as well that in and now Julie will tell me whether this was true in Europe. I think it was, but certainly in Australia and and New Zealand, what really gets these markets going are events. You know, like, for example, in Australia, they had a big drought and that shot spot, spot prices through the roof and suddenly everyone realized there was a clear product there and that counterparty risk wasn't a necessary thing. So um, you, you do have these sort of event-driven things as well. So, for example, the next cold snap in, in Japan or whatever it might be, or it could be, uh, it could be you know, um, a fuel type thing in terms of globalization, but a price uh, anomaly event uh, will will really drive liquidity in these markets. We've already got the event. We've got the current event, and the prices have yeah. plummeted. And yeah. when when you get those big price moves like that, it just proves to people how much they do need to hedge. Absolutely. It's difficult I mean, to find a buyer recently, hasn't it? And uh, soon, if it, when the market turns, it's going to be difficult to find a seller. So. It's a, it's a great demonstration of how events impact things. Exactly. I mean, I mean, uh, now Japan, I mean, people trading Japan power realize that the bottom at the moment at JPX is um, 0 0.01 yen per kilowatt hour. Yeah. And uh, that's unprecedented. That has not been seen before. Yeah. And as you rightly say, I mean, now there are people saying, um, well, um, that's interesting for a buyer to hedge that long-term low price. Yeah. Um, so, Indeed, um, price spikes or particularly low prices typically spark interest in long-term hedging. I think personally, 2020 will be the year to get ready. Yeah, I think no one um, believes that by the end of the year it will be a highly liquid, cleared market. Yeah, but what I can see is that there's a, a long queue of clients uh, currently in the process of getting ready. So therefore, I have full confidence that 2021 next year we'll see significant volumes and that also 
is mirrored by the developments that we've seen in the spot market. I mean, let's look back 2016. I think one or two percent of the physical demand in Japan was traded via the spot exchange. Now we're talking 30, 40 percent of physical demand trading in a spot exchange in less than four years. Yeah. So I firmly believe 2021 will be the year for cleared Japanese power. So the story continues. As always, um, some really interesting points there. So thank you guys. And thank you also for listening. If you'd like further info on EEX's Japan Power Offering, feel free to visit www.eex.com. Or of course, you can email myself. And my email address is in the episode notes. Until next time, stay safe. And thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.